Hi, this is Steve Thomas, pastor of the First Baptist Church at Delray Beach. Welcome to our podcast. We study God's Word to apply it to our lives in order to make a difference in this life and in eternity. We hope you enjoy this message. We cry out, we cry out. All right, well, we're in Ezra chapter 2, Ezra chapter 2, and we're in a series called Be the House, Ezra and Nehemiah. And uh, it's uh, just a wonderful story of God's restoration and bringing the church back, bringing this people back to be his people and to rebuild his house. And for us, it's rebuilding the church. It's bringing us back to what uh, God wants us to be. So we're excited about that. And remember, our vision as a church, I want to continue to, to make that clear, is to make Jesus known. That's really all we need to do. When you think about what I'm trying to accomplish in my life, if I can make Jesus known, that's going to be amazing. Jesus can, he's, he can help people's heart change, he can do life change, but he calls on us. Our role is to help people know him and know about him so that they can respond to him, make Jesus known. So in this series on Ezra, as we've talked about the last couple of weeks, there's three major themes And no matter what happens, these themes are still critical for us to understand. The first is that God is firmly in control. And I know there's all kinds of things that happen in our world, and you wonder, has God lost control? Don't fear. God is firmly in control. He will accomplish His purpose. And secondly, and I think it should be incredibly encouraging to us, that God works through his people to accomplish his purpose. I mean, how does it feel to think that God wants to work through you? I think it's awesome that God wants to work through somebody like me to say, yeah, I can take that guy. He's a little goofy. You know, he's got some issues, but I can use him and he can use you too. God always wants to work through his people. And thirdly, that God uses his word to convict and to encourage his people. The reality is, it is incredibly encouraging that God convicts us. It's something that we avoid, to be sure, right? We don't really want to go, man, I really want to know what's wrong with me, God. Just give me all my thoughts, my faults right here. And I've always said many times I've threatened to build a machine that would put everyone's sin up on the screen as they came through the door. I think that would be amazing, wouldn't it? Wouldn't be any pride in church, would there? We don't really have that machine. We're not working on it. Don't worry. But I open God's word. It convicts. And conviction is a loving thing because it says, Steve, these are the things that separate you from me. These are the things that put you in exile. And I want you to repent of those so that I can give you the encouragement, the joy of repentance. And that's the beauty of it. It's, it's this sense of when I repent because God's convicted me, there's an incredible joy that comes over me as I receive his innocence. Whatever's happened in your life, whatever you've done, God wants to convict and he wants to encourage. He wants to restore you. It's, it's an amazingly wonderful thing that our God does. He wants to pull us back from exile, and that's what we're talking about. In Ezra chapters 1 and 2. Title of today's message is The Returners. The Returners. Sounds like a John Wayne movie, doesn't it? 
or it sounds like a segment on today's pro football shows that you're going to see all afternoon if you choose to watch them, right? Uh, what about the receivers? What about the quarterbacks? What about the returners? What are they going to do in the, in the special teams game? You know, the returners, those are the guys that catch the ball and try not to get killed while they get a few yards. And, you know, one time out of 100, they make it all the way back. But the returners in Ezra are those that return to rebuild the house of God and the city of God. Are you a returner? Are you someone that God has stirred up in your heart, saying, I want to build this, this temple of God. I want to be the house of God. I want to rebuild the city of God. Is, is that who you are today? Because that's what we're going to talk about. Specific people that God calls to be his returners. Now, we're going to look at a list of names here in just a minute in Ezra. And when God uses real names, why are they there? You ever wondered that? There's these long lists of genealogies or these long lists of people who actually participated, and they're really hard to pronounce. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask some of you to stand and read some of these verses out loud. And I know some of you would do it well. No, I'm not really going to do that. But you kind of look at these names, you go, I just want to blow through those names. Let's just skip chapter 2. Let's get right to chapter 3 where stuff starts to happen and temple starts to get built and people start to respond and it gets really super exciting. Let's just skip all these people. No. You know, God works through people, people like you. It's important for us to spend a few minutes thinking about the people that God uses. And when he names names, it's real people, it's real events, it's real places. So start with me, Ezra chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. God's word says this. Now these were the people of the province who came up out of captivity of those exiles whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried captive to Babylonia. And they returned to Jerusalem and Judah, each to his own town. Really important to notice that God keeps his promises. He doesn't just go grab some random people. Hey, the children of Israel, they messed up, carried them off into Babylonia. Let's, let's go over here to Spain and grab some people. Let's just get some random people and let's bring them back because these people didn't make it. Let's, but God doesn't do that. He keeps his promise to his people, and he brings back a very specific group of people, the same people that Nebuchadnezzar had hauled off into exile. We serve a faithful God. As we talked about last week, God stirred in the heart of a pagan leader, Cyrus, and he moved a pagan leader to say to the children of Israel, hey, go build your temple. And they stirred in the God's people to go build his temple. God is faithful. When you feel him stirring in your heart right now, will you respond? When you, hear him, when you feel him stirring in your heart today, will you respond and return from exile? So God calls the people that were sent into exile. And as we're just about to see, he calls people with real names from real families. Real specific people. What? is in a name. When I say your name, what does that mean? We think about it, your name carries a lot. It carries a history often. Some of you have done Ancestry.com and you've looked back decades ago to see the people that you come from. One of our walls in our home, there's all kinds of pictures of people that are, that are past generations, about three or four generations. When we say our names, it means something. There's a history there. 
Sometimes, if your name is Maniglia, there's, a, there's an ethnicity attached to that. Amen, Joe? That's right. So we don't know what it is, but no. Joe the Italian. So, uh, and there there's, can be an ethnicity tied to your name, or maybe not. But there's also a career often tied to your name. We say your name, oh, well, you know, that's Mike. He does this. You know, that's Jonathan. He does this. That's Carol. This is who she is. This is what she's all about. She's a mom or he's a father. These things kind of come to mind when you picture, when you think of someone's name. There's a very specific uh, set of characteristics that go with that person. This person's happy. This person's sad. This person is annoying like Pastor Steve. You know what I mean? You get the idea. So there's a sense of identity when you mention someone's name. There's a financial history in a lot of cases. There's a lot going on when you mention someone's name. And you may think, well, you know what? I, I'm just kind of anonymous here. No one really knows my name. But you know what? God knows your name right now. Would you encourage that God knows your name? If you're watching online, God knows your name too. You're not here personally, but you're here online, and God knows all about what's going on in your life right now. God knows all about you. More than the credit companies know, more than your employer knows, more than anyone knows, God knows your name, and he knows these people's names that he stirs up to go and rebuild the temple in the city. But also, God stirs up a diverse group of people, a diverse group of followers to be his house, to rebuild his house. It's not just all one type of person. Kind of sounds like 1 Corinthians and Romans and Ephesians where it talks about there are different parts of the body. There are different types of people that God calls. Yes, they're all children of God, but they're, they're not all the same. And that's what's really important about this list of names in Ezra chapter 2, verse 2, he calls leaders. He calls leaders. It says, They came with Zerubbabel, Yeshua, Nehemiah, Sariah, Relay, Mordecai, Bilshan, Mispar, Bigvi, Rehum, and Bena. How many people have named your kid Bena? Anybody? That's a good guy probably, right? We don't really know much about him, but this is the group of leaders. Zerubbabel was the grandson of Jehoiachin, who was the last king. And so he had a sense of political status, and God stirred up his heart to come back. He stirred up uh, Yeshua, whose name in Greek is Jesus. It's really interesting. God calls a man named Yeshua to come back and to rebuild the temple, and he calls this whole group of leaders to return, to help lead his people to be the temple, to be the house but you know what? I love that he called normal people too, don't you? Are you a normal person? Raise your hand. Or are you a little abnormal? First service, we had a lot of abnormal people. It was really fun. Um, I called a few of them out, but I'm not going to call any of, any of you out, Bob Schichtel. Um, hey, Bob, he's one of the most normal people I know. It's good to be normal, right? God calls this vast number of normal people, and there's, there's just a, a sampling of them here in, in uh, Ezra 2, 3 through 7. It says, The number of men of the people of Israel, the sons of Parash, 2,172, the sons of uh, Shephatiah, 372, the sons of Ara, 775, the sons of Pehath uh, Moab, namely the sons of Yeshua and Joab, two, uh, 2,812 people, the sons of Elam, 1,254 people. And there's a whole bunch more. These are just normal people. I'm glad God just didn't just call the leaders, aren't you? 
call normal people, regular people, people that really don't have anything to describe themselves other than their name. He calls normal people to be the house. But in this list, there's also some really interesting guys, and there's 128 guys, the men of Anathoth, and they just remind us of God's faithfulness. In Jeremiah 32, God led Jeremiah, who is the prophet that predicts the very soon coming exile, and he says to, he says to, God says to Jeremiah, Jeremiah, go and buy a field. Jeremiah's like, wait a minute, you just told me we're going to be overrun, we're going to lose all of our real estate, so why am I buying a field? God told Jeremiah to buy a field because he's telling Jeremiah, I'm going to bring the people back. And the men of Anathoth that were a part of that community where he bought that field, they come back. Just to remind us that God is faithful. Jeremiah bought that field in confidence that God would bring his people back. I love how that's just tossed in in that whole big list. You've got to look really close to see it. Of all these people God's bringing back, oh, he brought the people back where Jeremiah had brought the field. And he brought the priest, verses 36 through 39. There's priests listed there. God brought holy people who could lead his people to be the house, to be the temple, to rebuild the temple, to be the people that would show God's glory. He brought priests. He also brought Levites in order so that there could be denim clothes and jeans made. I'm going to make sure you all are listening. Um. I don't know, I can't get, this is a dumb joke, but I just, I love it. Um, he brought the Levites. He brought the Levites, and they were what? They were the, uh, the clan where the priest came from. Now, the priests were a subset of the Levites. They were the sons of Aaron, right? Remember, Moses' brother, so they were the, the actual priests. But the Levites were to be helping in the temple. They had the role of carrying out the ministry of the temple. So God brought some of them back. But he also brought some interesting people. They were the temple servants and sons of Solomon's servants. These are two groups of people that King David and King Solomon had developed and named to be helping in the ministry of the temple. Which first is interesting that God provided for all these kinds of people to be able to serve. So I believe when God calls us, somebody to be a part of our church, he calls them to a place of ministry, to a place of service, to a place of help carrying out the work of the church. But these people, they were probably foreigners. Really interesting. These were people who were converted, accepted circumcision, and became leaders or or workers in for the house of God. God brought them back. He stirred up in their hearts to come back as well. And then there's another group, and this is my favorite group. I'm going to call them the questionable. Have you ever questioned your salvation? Have you ever said, I don't really know if I belong to Jesus? Have you ever wondered, maybe when someone passed away, I don't know that I'm really ready for that. Maybe you can't even remember when you came to Christ or what was really going on then. When you were baptized, you're not really sure and and you don't really know. In this case, these are people who can't really prove their lineage back to Abraham. And a lot of that was lost when they lost their land because the fact that you belonged to Israel was because you had land originally. You were a part of the land. 
and that was your heritage. When the land was gone, a lot of those, some of those records got lost, and people moved off to Babylon, and they could no longer trace their lineage back to, back to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And so there's these questionable people. When someone comes into our church, for example, we always want to have a conversation with them. We always want to hear their Jesus story. We want to hear what happened when Jesus came into their lives, when they received the gift of salvation through trust in Him and through repentance. Because we want people to be confident in that. Sometimes we'll have people say, you know what? I don't really know. I'm not really sure. I don't really remember. And we walk them through that process of making sure that they've received that gift of salvation so that people aren't questionable anymore. But I want you to know, I want to encourage you, if you're not sure today, we'd love to talk to you. Julie and I will be right outside after the service. We'd love to have that conversation. Please don't be embarrassed because I can guarantee you there's more than one of you here today. We'd say, you know what, I'm just not really sure. You may say, well, how can I do that? I've been a part of this church for years. Hey, it doesn't matter. Because remember, God calls you individually and as a part of a church. It matters what he's doing in your heart. You don't need to leave being questionable. In this case, what God told the, the leaders to do, he said, listen, let's set these people aside until a priest can talk with them, someone filled with the Spirit to be able to discern where they are. That's our role as a church. We can know people's story and hear their story. They can be confident that they are a follower of Jesus. Verse 64 through 67, God calls the singers, the rich and the poor. Yes, even worship leaders, Phil, he calls them, stirs them up. It's amazing. So grateful for you, my friend. Um, singers, he calls singers. He actually raises up and stirs up singers to be a part of worship in the temple. And Phil is always looking for good singers. But he also calls the rich and the poor, as it says that besides them there was male and female servants, which means there are wealthy people there. So if you're wealthy, you're not left out. But he also calls the poor, the wealthy had servants and horses, but the poor had donkeys. So it indicates that not only the rich, but the poor are called. So whatever your socioeconomic background, God may be stirring up in you to be the house. So he has this big group of people, and he calls them to Jerusalem. And verse 68 says this, that some of the heads of the families, when they came to the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem... They made free will offerings to the house of God to erect it on its site. According to their ability, they gave to the treasury of the work 61,000 derricks of gold, 5,000 minas of silver, and 1,000 priests' garments. Get this. Not only did they have God stirring in their heart, but they made the journey from, Jerusalem, I mean, from Babylonia to Jerusalem. About a 7-week to 12-week journey. It wasn't just a simple thing. They left where they were. They left where they were relatively comfortable, but far from God. And they made the journey all the way to Jerusalem. And when they got there, they did something that seems a little crazy. They made a free will offering. No one stood up and said, hey, we need to raise money for the temple. No one stood up and said, hey, let's do this. Let's all. They made a free will offering. I don't know if you've ever moved, but it isn't cheap, is it? And when you move, especially a long distance, and you arrive in a new place, the first thing you're thinking is, oh my goodness, this cost way more than I thought. 
There was a mover, there was deposits, there are all these things you have to do. And then you've got to get mustard and ketchup and put all your new condiments in your refrigerator as well, right? There's all these little costs that come into play. Maybe something has to be fixed. Maybe you painted. Maybe there's some things that need to be done to the house. I love it that they arrive and there's no doubt there's just rubble where the temple used to be. There's an expensive process about to happen. And what do they do? They make a free will offering. They come and they indicate this matters to us more than even what we're going to eat, more than even the house we're going to live in. We're going to make an offering to say, God, we are so excited about the urgency of rebuilding your house. So that needs to be the heart of us when we give. Jesus, I'm just excited that I get to be a part of this. I'm not worried about all the other expenses I might have, but I'm saying to you, Jesus, I want to give in a way that honors you even in the most difficult time. Because this was, a diff- this was a very expensive time for them. And they make a free will offering. Don't miss that. So when God calls you to be on mission and he stirs up your heart to move you from exile to being the house, he calls all of you, your entire identity, including your financial life. The next verse says that they settled into their houses. They settled into their towns. They came to stay. So grateful so many of you have come to stay. Robert and Betty Gravens have been here, I think, the longest of anyone here today. So grateful for you, Robert and Betty. Uh, been faithful for many, many years. They didn't just come, check it out for a while, and disappear. They came and said, I want to be a part of this. We're going to invest our life here. This matters. These people came, they settled, and they stayed. Let me ask you, where are you today? As we went through this list, we talk about these kinds of people, talk about what they did when they arrived. Are you a returner or are you struggling to be the house? Are you in exile or have you returned? So, Steve, what do you mean to find exile? Listen, if you're in exile, here's some of the things that are happening. You don't really have many spiritual conversations. Not really much spiritually happens during the week. Oh, you may still be a follower of Jesus, but you're, you're kind of doing it at a distance. Maybe you're afraid to get very close. Because maybe you're afraid if you make that journey and you become the place where people can know Jesus, that it's going to change you too much. Or maybe it's going to get at an area of your life that you're afraid to be exposed. Maybe you're, you're afraid you're going to have to give something up or you're going to have to actually deal with something that's been in the background of your heart for a very long time. And you have a hard time getting all the way to Jerusalem. Oh, don't live in exile. Don't live in exile. The first question that you have to ask yourself is this. Is, is my name written in the Lamb's book of life? See how encouraging would it be to see your name written in Ezra today? Joe returned. Johnny returned. James returned. Lenore returned. See, there is a book we see in Revelation. The book was open and there were names written there. Is your name written there? The names are written there of those that God's, the ones that God had stirred up their heart to say, I want you to be my child. I want you to receive salvation. Has that happened for you? You don't have to question that. 
It's a simple question. Have I received salvation? Have I responded to God's stirring in my life? But you know, if you're still in exile, maybe you've received that gift of salvation, but life, pandemic, difficulties, political challenges, lifestyles has taken you far from him and you found yourself in exile. It's a tough place to be. I want to urge you to return. Return. I, I can't get this image out of my head as I think about returning. When you think about Cain and Abel, Genesis chapter 4, what happens? Cain and Abel each bring an offering. They each try to worship God. What happens? Abel's worship is accepted, but Cain's is not. There's something wrong with it. There's some kind of thing that's wrong with his sacrifice. We don't really know what it is, but Abel's, Abel's offering was clearly really superior, and, and Cain just didn't, didn't really probably try that hard. And it says that Cain's face fell and he became angry. And God said to him, listen, Cain, if you do well, if you, if you worship well, if you follow me, if you do what I call you to do, you're going to be fine. Will you not be accepted? But beware, sin is crouching at your door and it wants to rule over you. This is what happens to people in exile. Sin begins to rule over them. And it's really interesting in Genesis 4 that what does Cain do? He doesn't run from God. He, he doesn't try to fix it with God. He kills Abel. Something that's totally unrelated, really. It's just jealousy. See, sometimes God's people in exile find themselves doing things that make no sense and not being able to stop doing things that are harmful. It's because they're in exile. And they refuse to repent and follow Jesus and be the house. Are you in exile today? Will you return? So, Steve, why does this matter? Here's why it matters. There's evil all around us, folks. It's not really hard to see. It is all around us. I love Psalm 23 that says he prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies, meaning God takes care of us, but our enemies are all around us. What we're doing here has a sense of urgency about it. We need to make sure we are faithful to be the place that people can meet God in our own personal lives and in our church. You know, the return in Ezra is the link that connects the past with God and the future with God. If they had not returned, there'd be no house. There'd be no temple. There'd be no scripture. There'd be no Jesus. They were the link. You're the link as well. If you don't return, somebody might miss Jesus. See, we stand on the shoulders of those who've come before us, who've given us this opportunity. People like Alan, like the Bivens, like Batson like Pignato and Underwood and many others who came before to build this church. We stand on their shoulders. And I want others to be able to stand on our shoulders. I want others to be able to say, I, I came in that time, I came in that pandemic year, I was a part of things, and, and God has used us to be the house, to be the place where people could connect. I, I didn't want to stay in exile. God turned on, God, God stirred in my heart and I, I followed. I didn't even know what it meant. But I asked God to make me the place 
where people can connect with Jesus. Will you be a returner? Would you bow with me as we pray? Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to support this ministry, go to our website at fbcdelray.com. Also, click the share button so you can share this message with a friend or someone in need as we seek to know Jesus, to know others, and to make him known. We cry out, we cry out.